attention to the screen. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together as usual. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Um, there are two very, uh, the, the two most intimidating sermons a pastor will ever preach. Uh, the first one is his first sermon. It's the most intimidating, he'll, most intimidating he'll ever be. The second is his first sermon after his hero has announced that he will succeed him in the near future. Um, the pressure's real. No, I'm teasing. I'm so honored to be here today. I want to, uh, we're going to uh, touch on being uh, made whole by Jesus, the healing strength of God. I want to help us kind of navigate uh, some things and Lord willing, bring uh, some scriptural understandings to some things. Uh, the central uh, scripture we're going to use is in Luke chapter 5. I'm going to read that briefly and then we're going to transition into Mark chapter 5. But centrally speaking in Luke 5, scripture says that the news about Jesus spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often drew away to lonely places and prayed. So in other words, in the ministry of Jesus, oftentimes people would come to seek him for healing. One of those moments of healing come in Mark chapter 5. In your notes, this is what scripture says. It says, in Jesus, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at the feet of Jesus and implored him earnestly, saying, my, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed Jesus and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she had been healed of disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And Jesus looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Amen. The doctrine of healing 
not only is it one of the most understood doctrines of the church, but it's one of the most mysterious doctrines of the church. Um, most, most issues within church teaching, scriptural teaching, you can kind of put in a category, and it can be clearly defined, clearly understood, uh, clearly acted on and lived out. But when you have the doctrine of healing and wholeness, um, you can understand some things about it, um, but you can't necessarily put it in a box. If you do, you've got to open the lid of the box because there are all sorts of variables and, and circumstances and things that, frankly, we just don't understand and we never will understand. And so there's a tremendous mystery that's attached to the idea of wholeness, to the idea of healing. And I, I want to explain a little bit what I mean about the tension that's involved uh, with, with our thought processes. Many of you are familiar with a man uh, born in the 1800s by the name of Smith Wigglesworth. Um, it's hard to forget that name. Um, Wigglesworth was a minister. He was associated with the Assemblies of God. Uh, he was born in England uh, in the mid-1800s. Um, as a child, he was uneducated. His family was very, very poor. Uh, he worked the fields just to make ends meet for his parents so that they could eat and have a dwelling. Um, as he grew up, uh, he left the fields. In his young adulthood, he went and he learned uh, the, the craft of plumbing. So he learned a trade and uh, he was really good at it. And so he didn't just learn the trade, but then he launched off and he did his own business. Uh, he was a plumber so that he could take care and provide for his family. So in his early adulthood, as he's venturing into this, uh, he meets a woman. Her name is Polly Featherstone. They have amazing names in the 1800s of England, right? Wigglesworth, Featherstone, they sound very fictional. But uh, um, he meets this woman, he falls in love, they get married, they love each other dearly and, until her very last breath. He cared for her, they had an incredible marriage, she cared so deeply for him. Uh, he was illiterate because he, his Family could not afford for the children to go to uh, get educated. They had to, they had to work. And so uh, knowing that he was illiterate, his wife patiently taught him to read, but she taught him to read using only the Bible. And so as a, as a mark of faith, they decided that they weren't going to read any newspapers. They weren't going to read any books. He was going to sell his soul out to scripture and he was only going to indulge in that. And so uh, he became a, a devout follower of Christ his ministry, uh, in the beginning, he did a lot of work with the Salvation Army. Um, he did a lot of work with the homeless, the needy, people who were poor. Uh, that branched out into children and orphanages and things of that nature. Then at a certain point in his ministry, all of this kind of crescendoed. And, and something very unexpected happened with Wigglesworth. And all of a sudden, it was realized that God was using him to heal people of their physical ailments. Unexpected, unpursued, uh, is just a thing that kind of happened in this man's life. Now, before we go into Wigglesworth and some, some things, I need, to, I need to pause and I need to say this. What I'm about to say is not a full endorsement of Smith Wigglesworth, okay? Uh, this man was in many ways extreme in not only his beliefs, but in uh, the way that he carried out those beliefs, as we'll talk about here in a moment. And I think even at Christian Life, I think I can speak on behalf of the pastors and say that even some of his teaching about healing, we would not agree with. Okay, so this is not a full endorsement of everything that Smith Wigglesworth did. Nonetheless, he was a man of God, and God used him powerfully. 
But Wigglesworth had a unique approach. And uh, so some of the stances he took, he said that he and his wife, they made a covenant one night that they would not pursue uh, any type of physician's help should any of their, their family fall ill. They would not take any type of medicines. Um, that was on a personal level, on a ministerial level. Um, Wigglesworth had this mindset that when he was dealing with people that had sicknesses, that he wasn't really dealing with sicknesses, that he was dealing with demons. And so the mindset was simply this, you know, if you have um, cancer or if you have a cold or anything in between, that you really don't have a cancer and you really don't have a cold, you really have a devil inside of you. And so Wigglesworth took this philosophy to the ministry and therefore he treated his ministry like spiritual warfare. And so he was known for his aggressive behavior with people. So there are a thousand and one different illustrations that are documented, but one, one of the most famous is um, there was a man that comes to him in the middle of a meeting and he says, Brother, brother, uh, brother uh, Wigglesworth, uh, I've been diagnosed with stomach cancer. Will you pray for me that God will heal me? And so he begins to pray for this man and in the midst of the praying, Wigglesworth just hauls off and hits him right in the stomach where the cancer is. We're not going to do that today after service or anything like that, don't. <laughs> Remarkably, it's documented, the man was healed. I'm sure he was surprised, and so many other people were surprised. But Wigglesworth would go, he was known for going around in, in the meetings. Where there may be thousands of people as he began to travel, and he'd just go in the front row and just start slapping people in the face, okay? We may do that later. We'll see, okay? No, I'm kidding. Um, a woman, a woman uh, he and his friend went to a woman who was on her deathbed at a hospital. She died while they were there. He took her corpse, stood her up against the wall. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke this death. And the woman was raised back to life. Okay? Along with 14 other people, as people have documented. Now, I'm sure some of these stories are fabricated, okay? Uh, that's just how, you know, the, the way of the world. But I believe that God used this man in powerful, powerful ways, uh, unbeknownst to what he ever intended in the beginning of his life. He was so aggressive. Uh, one reporter wrote this in a, in, a, in a paper. He was talking about the healings that had happened, and he had said, although some people reported healing as a result of Wiggle, Wigglesworth ministry, Others thought it was best to avoid telling him the exact location of their pain. <laughs> so the man lives, he dies in 1947. It's said that when they did an autopsy that he had no bones in his kneecap area. And his friends and fam family would say, because there was, in his room, there was uh, bore out in his floor where he had just spent so much time in prayer on his knees. Incredible man of God. But uh, again, I want to say this is not necessarily a full endorsement. I'm just simply trying to illustrate a very confusing reality that we must wrestle with. Wigglesworth was fascinating. He was incredible, very peculiar in some of his antics. But his life possessed a mystery that you and I still have to deal with today in regards to physical healing. And, and here's the mystery for Wigglesworth, that though God used him to heal 
thousands and thousands of people. The man traveled, once his wife passed, he traveled globally from Austria to you know, Los Angeles. He traveled globally and thousands of people were healed under his ministry. But the conundrum is simply this, that though God used him to heal other people, Wigglesworth himself and within his family struggled most of the days of their life with sickness and illness. His wife died many years before him. They had a son. They had four children. One of his sons died at the age of 19. His daughter was born deaf. She itinerated with him in his later years as, as they traveled. She was born deaf and she was never healed of her deafness. Wigglesworth himself, not to be gross, but I'm just going to say the man had, you know, a lot of physical ailments about him. And one of the most that he struggled with for most of his life was that he had a severe case of hemorrhoids. And they were so severe and so virus that after work every single day, he would go and he would have to soak in bath salts just to have relief from the pain. Now, he was healed from that later. But through much of his life, he suffered with that. He suffered with kidney stones for six years. He had issues with his sciatic nerve near the end of his life. He ended up having a stroke, and then ultimately he ended up dying. And the mystery is simply this. What do we do with a man who, on one hand, is healing swaths of people? God is powerfully using him to heal so many people. But yet, in the man's personal life, they're, they're eaten alive with, with sickness and, and, and illness. And again, much of what God healed in them, but throughout their life, it was battle after battle. What do you do when you have this, 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 this difficulty? I'll tell you what you do. You get frustrated, right? And what you end up doing is you end up picking a side. And you say, well, I'm either going to go towards Wigglesworth that, that basically makes uh, this step towards extremism, or I'm going to go to this other side and say, well, God just doesn't work at all. Both of those are in error. Both of those are wrong. There's a middle ground. There's a proper place for healing. And I'm just going to say this. We at Christian Life, we emphatically and unapologetically believe in the healing strength of God. We always have and we always will. I believe that, okay? But listen, even when we look at a situation like this, we're not going to be a people who are cynical about the healing power of God. Like you've heard people that are cynical and they'll say things like this. This is one of, one of my favorites. They'll say, never trust a faith healer who wears glasses. I mean, it's kind of funny, right? And from the outside of faith looking in, you're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But when you understand that there are some things that you'll never understand, all of a sudden you view that as a cynical uh, approach that's dishonoring to people who possess faith and it doesn't get you anywhere besides maybe a, ch a couple of chuckles. Okay, so, so here's the thing. In Wigglesworth and in Paul, you have men that God used mightily to heal other people, but within themselves and within their families, they struggled to attain healing. It's a conundrum. It's something that we can't really put our finger on and we can't really provide an answer to. But today what I want to try to do is I want to try to dig in a little bit to healing and wholeness. And I want to try to make a little more sense of the mystery if I possibly can. Okay, it's a big task. 
So this is the way that, that, that we're going to kind of go the rest of the service. I want to talk to you about four or five different areas that we believe God has made a healing available to all of us. The four or five different things. So we're going to go through this really quickly. And then we're going to slow down a little bit. And what I want to do is circle back to the woman with the issue of blood. And I want to share with you eight or nine different timeless principles that I believe apply to us today in regards to healing. Okay. So this first, we're going to feel like Speedy Gonzalez, and then we're going to slow. Okay. So just um, be patient with me and uh, we'll make this happen. The first thing that I think we need to understand when it comes to healing and wholeness in a general sense is that at Christian Life, once again, we believe unapologetically in healing. Okay, but let me say this. Let me qualify it with this. We believe that healing is only possible because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. There is no other means that provides or opens the gates for healing for us outside of his work on the cross. The prophet Isaiah said this, it would say the Messiah was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds or by his stripes, we are healed. Now, let me, let me give you a little framing for that. The statement that the prophet's talking about is solely focused on the salvation that Christ provides for us. The crushing, the iniquity, all of that stuff, that's about salvation. And the work that Jesus did on the cross guarantees us salvation if we come. If we come in humility, in repentance, in surrender, when we come, there's no question, am I going to be saved? I'm not sure about all this. No, there's a guarantee you will be saved because of his work on the cross. But what his work on the cross does, it doesn't just guarantee us salvation, but it opens a side door for the opportunity for us to pursue healing in different manners. Now, again, I'm going to try to speak to this a little bit. We are not guaranteed healing. Okay, we are not guaranteed that. But, but the door has been opened for us to pursue that. Why? Because of the finished work of Jesus. And so it's important that we understand as we get into this, that God is sovereign, that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. They're above all of us. Sometimes God will do for one person what he will not do for another person. Why? We don't know. There's a sovereignty that, that we'll never understand. And we've got to wrestle with that. It is a plight of ignorance. It's a plight of ignorance. I say that respectfully. I hate to use that word. I wish I could use another word. I just can't think in the moment. But, but it is the height of of, of arrogance, maybe to assume that God owes me answers for what he chooses to do and, and does not choose to do. Okay. Now I will say this as our loving heavenly father, we always have the right to come and ask. And oftentimes he provides answers for us as he did in the life of Paul. There are some things we're just never going to know. And so, so we've got to understand that God heals differently in different people and there are so many variables, there are so many factors, circumstances, levels of faith, um, you know, the purpose that, that we may be going through suffering. There are so many different variables, we're really not sure. But what I want to do is I want to take this to scripture for a second. And I want to talk to us about three different ways, or not three different ways, but three different uh, levels time-wise that God chooses to heal people and how that all kind of plays out, okay? So in scripture, what we find 
is oftentimes God's timetable looks very different than our timetable. Okay? When, it's, when it comes to regarding healing, we find three different layers. The first layer is what we call people who, were, who receive healing immediately. Okay? This is the woman with the issue of blood. She comes, she touches the hem of the garment. Instantly, the blood dries up. Her body is made whole in that moment. The second layer of healing is what we call a gradual healing. Okay, we see this a couple times throughout scripture. Probably the most prominent is when a blind man comes to Jesus. Jesus lays hands on the blind man and he steps back. And this is what Jesus says, can you see? And the blind man looks around and he says, well, I can see better than, you know, now than I could before. I think these are people, but it looks like trees that are walking around. And so Jesus, well, you're not completely healed. So what does Jesus do? He goes back and lays hands on the man again and heals him completely. This is a gradual healing. Now, oftentimes when we experience gradual healing, it's not in a matter of moments, okay? It's a, it's a matter of days, weeks, months, years, decades perhaps, okay? But there is an immediate healing, there's a gradual healing, and then finally there's what we call the one that we hate more than any others in Pentecostal circles, is ultimate healing. And this is the idea that God may not heal me in this lifetime, but he will heal me in the next lifetime. Okay, and this isn't necessarily just isolated to terminal illness. Okay, it is in, you know, in those instances. But even when you look at the life of Paul, Paul says, I had this thorn in my flesh. It was like a messenger from Satan. You can, you know, make a case for all these different things, but it can be closely, you know, you can, you can make some jumps and, and see that Paul may have been talking about an issue with his eyes. He said to the Galatians, I think, or I think it was the Galatians, he said, you would have plucked your own eyes out for me and gave them to me, indicating there was an issue with his eyes. I went to the Lord three times, and each time the Lord said, no, 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 my grace will be sufficient for you. So as far as we know scripturally, Paul never received the healing that he desired until the next life. Now, charismatic Pentecostal circles, especially at the Wigglesworth, you know, lean, they look at this and they say, you're just copping out. You don't have enough faith. You don't believe God enough. No, I trust the scripture. I trust the sovereignty of God. I trust the fact that he knows things that I don't know. And I have to step back. And that's, that is perhaps a greater act of faith than believing God for healing. And so, so no, it's, it's not a cop out, but God chooses to do these things. Okay, now very quickly, let me take you through four or five different levels that, that we believe God makes healing available for us. Number one is this. We believe physical healing is available for those who are suffering in their bodies. Now, again, a mystery. We do believe that there's a place for suffering. Scripturally speaking, uh, Peter would say, you identify with Christ through suffering. Paul would say, there's a fellowship with Christ through suffering, the fellowship of his suffering. We believe, again, it's a mystery. We believe in healing, but we also believe in some instances there's, there's a place for, for suffering, and we need not shame people for that because perhaps that is a greater glory. And so we believe that, that physical healing is available for those who are suffering in their body. Okay, but, but let, me, let me qualify by saying this. I believe that until God speaks to us in a way that he spoke to Paul, that we should never stop pursuing healing. Amen. 
until the Lord steps in and says, nope, Justin, no, my grace, I'm not going to help. My grace is going to be sufficient for you. Until something that powerful and strong comes, then we continue to pursue healing. We, con we continue to pursue the Lord and healing as a result. We continue to do that. We never give up, okay? Number two, we believe that, that spiritual healing is available for those who are lost, those who have oppressed or are possessed by evil spirits, those who are ensnared by sin, those who have a misunderstanding of God among you know, a, a host of, of other things. Throughout scripture, we see all these different layers. We see the first and most important spiritual healing is the reconciliation of the lost to the Father, right? It's only done through the work of Jesus. That is a spiritual healing. That's the first and ultimate spiritual healing. But then there are other layers of spiritual healing. There's sanctification, which we love that so much. This is when the Spirit of God corrects you, rebukes you, when the Word of God chastens you and you just want to crumble. Uh, there's that level of spiritual healing. But then there's a spiritual healing, you know, of, uh, uh, there's a, a mental and emotional we'll talk about in a minute. But there's also a spiritual dynamic to the mind. Uh, Simon the sorcerer, we see him. He did not understand God. He thought he understood the ways of God. But he was corrected and God healed him of his misunderstanding of God. Um, but then probably the, the most unpopular in Western culture is the idea of people being uh, delivered of demonic influence. Um, we see this time and time again throughout scripture. And I'm just going to simply say this. I'm not sure if you have any exposure to the world outside of these walls, television, news, school, work, whatever the case may be. If you have any exposure to the non-Christian world, it becomes very, very clear very, very quickly that there is demonic influence in our land. In Jesus' life, in three and a half years of ministry, in a very remote, isolated part of the world, Jesus cast out thousands of evil spirits that were dwelling within people. If you and I live in these United States of America in the year 2022, and you don't believe that evil spirits are possessing people, I don't know what to tell you. We are living in a culture that is increasingly anti-Christ. And part of the result of being a person that is anti-Christ is you open yourself up to evil spirits. Now again, I know this isn't like super popular and people are like, this is weird and odd and strange. Yes, that's right, because the Bible is weird and odd and strange. And we are, we are Bible people, we are Christian people, and so therefore you're going to experience things that are strange. And I'm just going to tell you this, you'll, you'll, never, you'll never doubt again once you've seen someone delivered of a demonic spirit. And I don't necessarily mean just what happens in the moment. And I've seen it all. I mean, I've seen the vomiting and the shaking, slithering like a snake. I've seen it all, Okay. Here, in this room, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the sound mind that comes following the deliverance. I'm talking about the wholeness of a person that comes. My wife was uh, telling me about a conversation she had with somebody that, that doesn't live in South Carolina. And, um, you know, they, they were telling her that, that they had experienced deliverance. 
And she came back and she was telling me about the conversation. She was so elated about it. And she said, she just couldn't articulate what it meant. She said, baby, I just don't know how to say it. Just the, the, even the way that the words were coming out, it was so different than who they were. The look in their eyes was so different than who they were. The, the way that we connected was so different than who, the, who they were. Why? Well, because there's a, a new owner in the house. There, there was a, a, an evil presence before and now a holy presence exists in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, so we do believe that spiritual healing and wholeness are available. We also believe that emotional and mental healing are available for people who have experienced trauma, who are victims of abuse, who have emotional damage or baggage, chemical imbalances, you name it. The onslaught of all these things, we believe that God can heal these people. Now, let me say it. Something shifted, and you know this, I, no, nobody has to tell you this, but, but in 2020, something shifted. And I'm not just talking about in, in our nation or in the world. I'm saying in the spiritual realm, things are not the same. Things are different than what they were. And in the world, you have um, a lot of people that are associating this, not with spiritual dynamics because they don't believe in spiritual things. They're associating with, with mental health issues or emotional health issues, okay? And let me say this. It has, been, it has been elevated in our culture because people are consumed with the idea that, that this is the problem, which there may be a problem in the mental and emotional realm. I believe that. But ultimately, for many people, it's a spiritual problem first and then the emotional and, and, and mental aspect. And let me, let me caution us by saying this. There are always going to be drama queens. There are always going to be people that are constantly having issues, right? Or there are people that want to say that they're having issues when they really don't have issues. They just want attention, okay? That's always going to be the case. It always has been. It always will be, okay? But let me caution us with this. We need to pay attention especially if you're a parent or a grandparent. I'm telling you, something changed in 2020. Something changed. And I don't have time to go through it, but there are hundreds and hundreds of studies about the mental and emotional well-being of the younger generations of people that are coming up. And I know what it's like to be a parent to say, you're just being dramatic. I know what, I was a youth pastor for 18 years, okay? I know drama, okay? But I'm just saying... I know what it's like to say, well, they're just being dramatic. I understand that. But let me caution us and just say, every person that's struggling, it's not always drama. As a matter of fact, sometimes for us, especially as parents, when we shrug something off as just being drama, oftentimes it's because we're afraid that we don't know how to deal with it. And so I want to caution us as parents and grandparents, there are rare, very real issues that are going on right now. And at our church, we are a proponent of counseling, we are a proponent of therapy. We are a proponent of physician's help. We're a proponent of, of medication. We're a proponent of all of this stuff. But our only caveat is this. Although all of these things are good and, and do and can help us, I've, I've done all of these things. Okay, I know the help and the benefit. All I'm saying is this, is that this can't be our, our sole pursuit. There has to be a greater and ultimate pursuit of healing and wholeness that is beyond what 
people in this world can offer. Again, it's not battery. We believe in it. But there's something greater that must be pursued, and we need to pay attention to those things. Okay? Now, with that being said, some people are just mean. All right? Some people are just mean, and some people are just hurtful, and some people are just, you know, uh, sarcastic, and they just want to be mean. I don't, I don't know what to say. But let me caution us again by saying this. Usually that when a person is just mean, and they, you know, oftentimes, and I've said this before, um, but oftentimes what people will say was, well, that's just who I am, right? Um, we, need to, we need to be cautious to pray for these people especially if they're brothers and sisters in the Lord. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's very easy to write people off and to kind of, you know, you know, do it. We need to pray for people that God will touch their hearts and heal whatever emotionally or mentally is broken in them and help them to see so that God can do his work. Okay, so that's, that's all I'm going to say regarding that. Number four and finally is we believe relational healing is available for those who have broken relationships. This is seen in the life of Peter. He rejects Jesus three times, and then Jesus restores Peter three times. We see in Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, they have this huge, like, you know, like, you know, middle school girls. No, this isn't fair. And they leave each other, you know, they separate. I'm going to do my own thing. And Paul, I'm going to take my ball and go over here. And, and they do that. And years later, what we see is a coming back together. And a a loving brotherhood, forgiveness, all this kind of stuff. Now, I'm going to say this about relational wholeness and healing. This is a little bit different than all the other levels of healing in this way. Relational healing often requires more work and more willingness on the part of both people. Okay? So, when there is a disconnect or there's a falling out, both parties, on some level, there needs to be a willingness and work that's required in restoring the relationship. But this is what I believe. I've seen it with, with dozens and dozens of people. When the two begin to do that, the Spirit of God comes in like glue, like a bonding agent, and can bring and heal these relationships. Okay? Let me give you a very extreme example, but nonetheless an incredible example. Uh, as I said, I was in youth ministry for like 18 years, my wife and I. And um, probably five or six years ago, I got a, a phone call from a young lady who was in one of our youth ministries. She said, hey, I just wanted you to know I sent you a very long email, but I'm going to ask you if possible, read it within the next couple hours. It's very urgent. And she's very much, I mean, very much one of our girls. You know, we love her, care for her so very much. I was part of their wedding, you know, all this. And uh, so I opened the email. I read the email. And in the email, she says, um, basically, for the, for the last nine or ten months, I've been having an extramarital affair. Goes through all this stuff. We begin to meet with them. They live in another state. Going to meet with them, talk to them on the phone, different things like that. She ultimately ends up saying, I don't want to be married anymore. I want to leave my husband and pursue this extramarital affair. The person she was having an affair with had convinced her that they missed the will of God when he married his wife and she married her husband, and that this was actually the will of God, and they would be in error not to make it right. He deceived her, and she, I mean, he was deceived, but she, you know, he, he drug her into that deceit. She came and stayed with me and my wife for a couple of weeks that year, 
and we just tried to talk, but there was, there was such a blind, I mean, there was a, a true blindness like, like I've never seen. I mean, it was, it was incredible. And she ended up going to, um, you know, one of those very intense counseling uh, situations for a week or two, and ultimately, ultimately, it came to the place where um, I was on the phone with her husband, and I said, buddy, I said, I don't know how to say this, but she does not want this. And before the Lord, you are not bound. This, she has is, she is willingly and openly and admittedly committed the sin of adultery. You are no longer bound to the covenant that, that you made with her. And I'm afraid that she's just going to destroy you, you know, if, if you keep trying to hang on. On the other side of the phone, through sobbing and tears, he said, Corey, he said, I feel like I've received a word from the Lord that God is going to heal our marriage. And it's going to be a testament for other people. And the great man of faith that I am, I said, buddy, I, I love you. <laughs> but it would have to be the power of God to do this, you know. Well, six years later, not only is their marriage completely restored, they have two children. They're thriving in every area of their life. And God is now using them to speak at marriage conferences in the region. Right? Okay, now, yeah, amen. Okay? It was far worse than I can even explain. But, but for, for the simple illustration is this, is that God can do that work, but oftentimes there's got to be a work within and a willingness within on both parties for that work to happen. Okay, so this one is a little bit different than the others, but we believe that the healing is available, okay? Now, let's circle back and let's focus for the, for the last 25 minutes here on the lowly woman with the issue of blood. There, there are nine principles, very quickly, I want to share with you that I believe apply to every one of us, every single one of us. And number one is this. We believe that Jesus wants to make us whole on every level. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something that I never do, and I'm going to present a possibility to you outside of Scripture that we don't see. It's called an argument from science, uh, silence, not science, from silence. Um, you don't see it in Scripture, but I'm making an assumption, and I'll say this on the outset. I could be dead wrong, and none of this could have ever happened, but let me just make some assumptions here with this woman. I want you to consider the possibility that her physical healing would it open room for in her life. Number one, relational healing. The woman had con been considered unclean for 12 years. In that culture, under the law, if you were on your menstrual cycle during that time, you were considered pretty much unclean. You were to be removed and you couldn't do certain things that other people took in and different things like that. For 12 consecutive years, this woman lived as an unclean person. And now all of a sudden, she's made whole. I can... I contest that this probably had an impact on her relational life. Uh, first and foremost, now she could maybe have a husband. Secondly, consider her relationships from her family that love her dearly, but have been kept at arm's length because of her uncleanness. Now, all of a sudden, there can be a restoration with those people. The priest going to the temple to worship God Almighty. Now all of these things that have been held away from her, now all of a sudden they're brought very, very close to her. Think about the words that Jesus spoke over her. You're well, peace, daughter. All of a sudden, can you imagine the emotional and the mental restoration that happened in this woman? 
just by not only the healing, but the words that Jesus spoke to her self-worth and her value. I had been unclean for 12 years. My father can't even come close to me. And now all of a sudden the Messiah is calling me daughter? You think about the restoration of self-worth in a situation like that. And all I'm saying is this. I believe that Jesus wants us whole on, on all, all levels. I believe that. I can't not believe that. I believe that he wants us whole on all these levels. And let me just say this. If you have been pursuing God for healing on any of these levels and you have not attained that healing power, let me just uh, give you a quote from a great theologian, Journey. Don't stop believing. Pursue. Don't give up. Press in, even when it feels like there's no hope. In Scripture, it says that this woman, she was at the end of her rope. She said, I've spent all I have. Jesus, if you don't, it won't happen. So she leaned in and she pursued. I believe we've got to have that same type of heart disposition towards the Lord to believe that he does want to heal until we get a word that he's not. Number two is this. While our faith is needed, it is Jesus' glory that heals us. Listen, in, in a lot of charismatic circles, um, what I'm about to say would probably uh, get me cast out of, of the circle. But I think, it's, I think it needs to be said. I think that we should do, do things and expose ourselves to elements that will build our faith. But we must never be confused what is truly healing us. It is not our faith that is healing us. It's the Son of God that is healing us. It's His glory. Listen, faith is a conduit. No question, faith has a role. But listen to me. God is not going to violate His own will because your faith level isn't enough. I think, please don't misunderstand, faith is so vital and so important, okay? But if we are not careful, we will make faith the idol. We will make faith God and we will pursue faith, faith, Faith instead of God, God, God. And we've got to caution our hearts not to do that because it's Jesus' glory that heals. Number three, Jesus will often use extensions of himself to heal people. In this text, what does Jesus use? The hem of his garment. The power flow. Man, it's powerful. The hem of his garment possessed his power, right? In his ministry, he used mud. He used spit. It's bizarre, right? Paul would use handkerchiefs and aprons and blankets and, and, and the power of God. I believe that. I believe that God can, you know, can transmit his power through things. I believe that with, with all of my heart. But let me say this. I believe that, that the thing that God uses more than, than items and elements is I believe God uses his people as an extension and expression of himself to heal us far more than he uses all this other stuff. Far more, when, when you see these incredible instances of his garment and all this kind of stuff, guess how many times that happened with his garment? You know what I'm saying? There has to be like this mindset where we appreciate the sensational, but when we look to scripture, we see, but what did he do most? And most of the time he used his people as an extension of himself to transmit his healing strength. This is why, okay, this is why we press to have services. 
This is why it is going to take an act of God for us not to have services. Okay? So with the pandemic, right? But we still found a way, right? It's going to have to take a hurricane or something that is not okay for us not to gather together. Listen to me. That's not for the sake of gathering together. It's because something happens that's, that, that we can't articulate, that's unidentifiable. Something happens when we gather together, when the saints gather, that sometimes don't happen when we gather, when we're alone. They just don't. And so let me give you my, my mindset of what it is. Pastor Justin, could you come up here real quick? Real quick. All right. This is, this, just indulge me for a second. Let's say that I am a person, I'm walking with the Lord in intimacy. Uh, there is an open heaven over me. Right? There's communion and there's fellowship in here. I'm, I'm, I'm rejecting sin. I'm repentant. I'm, I'm humble. I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing God. I have an open heaven. I can experience the Lord. I can speak with him. I can hear him. That's amazing. That's what we all should attain you know, or strive to attain, this type of relationship with the Father. Let's say that Pastor Justin is walking in that same way. There's an open heaven over him, right? Well, this is amazing. I love having an open heaven, and it's incredible. And Pastor Justin loves having an open heaven, and it's incredible. But all of a sudden, watch what happens. When you take two open heavens and you put them together, all of a sudden, there's a widening. Thank you. All of a sudden, listen to me. That's two people. What happens when hundreds come together? who have an open heaven. Listen to me, this is why when you step in this room during worship, you sense something that you didn't necessarily sense in your car. And it's not because you're not doing, you're doing something wrong, it's, it's nothing to do that. There's a principle found in scripture that when the saints of God gather together, there is a supernatural dynamic that's at play here. We see this in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Could God have poured his spirit out on his mother, Mary? Absolutely, he could have done that. But what did he choose to do? He chose to wait. And he said, I want these 120. You've got open heavens over you individually, but I want you to come together as a flock. And the gathering of saints, and all of a sudden, there's an opening that's wider, that's greater, the dimensions are greater, and all of a sudden, there's, a, there's an outpouring of the Spirit. I don't want to be misunderstood here, okay? Because I know we have you know, people in Brown Chapel and, and online and all that stuff I know that there are legitimate reasons that people cannot come to this physical building and we honor them and there's, don't misunderstand. That's all I'm going to say. It has nothing to do with, with anything like that. All I'm saying is that there's something that happens when we come together that oftentimes doesn't happen when we don't. This is why we push our services. This is why we push 40 something life groups that have divorce care, grief share, you know, marriage, family, relationship, all these different things. Do you know why we do that? Because something happens when we come together with multiple people that may not happen if we don't. I was talking to a friend this last week. He said, man, me and my wife, we're in three life groups. I was like, oh, how do you have time for three? And they do it. And listen to me say this. There's a, there's a principle I want, I want us all to understand. Okay, the principle is simply this. When you gather with the saints, you have no idea what's going to rub off on you. Okay? A few years ago, my wife and I, we were moving into our first home that we lived in. 11 years ago, we moved here. And we were moving in, and, and some of our leaders came over, young adults in their early 20s, different things. 
they were moving us in boxes, all that. There was a girl that was with us and she dropped a box or something weird happened. She sprained her, her wrist and super painful for her. And so being Christian believers, somebody said, well, hey, let's gather together and let's, let's pray for her, right? So we gather together, we pray for her, lay hands on her. We check with her after, are you okay? She's like, well, it still kind of hurts. I'm probably not going to lift any heavy things like that. You know, there's always this moment where you don't want to hamper people's faith. And you're like, yeah, I'm healed, but you're not, okay? Yeah. <laughs> don't do that, okay? Yeah. She didn't do that, and it was, I appreciated that. She was like, no, I'm just going to sit this one out. I'm like, okay, that's fine. We'll continue to pray. Fast forward about eight hours later, I'm asleep because I love sleep. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Okay, yes, I love sleep. And all of a sudden, I'm awakened. My wife, she's shaking me. And I'm like, startled, what's going on? She says, I hate to wake you, but I, I, I've got to tell you this. My wife has a history of major dental issues. I mean, since we've been married, she inherited bad teeth. And, you know, my, my wife's the type, if she has like a cavity, she's like, just take the tooth. Just take. I'm like, whoa, no, no, don't do that. You know? But she's like, I just, I hate my teeth, always having pain, sensitive to hot, sensitive to cold, sensitive to wind, sensitive to breathing, you know, like everything. She wakes me up. She said, do you remember a few days ago when I told you I was having incredible pain in my tooth? I said, yeah, of course, I've been praying. She said, tonight when we were praying for this girl, for her wrist, she said, in the moment, I felt the pain be eradicated. She said, I didn't want to say anything because I just thought, well, maybe I took Advil and I forgot and the pain's deadened, all this stuff. So I wanted to wait. She said, babe, God healed my tooth. And she was like, why would God heal my tooth when we were praying for this other girl's wrist? And I looked at her and I was like, I don't know, but ain't you glad he did, yeah. right? My point is this, it doesn't even always matter if you are pursuing wholeness and healing. If somebody else is and you're in their midst, there's no, there's no telling what God may do, what may rub off on you, what may heal and restore you. There's no telling what God may do. And you say, man, that sounds weird. And I don't know if I understand that. Join the club. It's called the Bible club. We don't understand a lot. The gathering of saints is what God uses more than anything to heal people. And oftentimes he does that as things rub off. So really quickly, really quickly. I want to remind you of three very quick things. Number, number one, in your notes is number four. This is, again, a principle that we find in this woman's life. I want to remind you and encourage you, the reports you've heard about Jesus are true. Okay. This woman had heard all this stuff. I got to find out for myself. And listen to me just briefly say this. It doesn't matter what you've experienced. And it doesn't matter what people have told you. And it frankly doesn't even matter what other people have experienced. Jesus is still the almighty God. He still calls himself our healer. He is Jehovah Rapha. He's the great physician. He is the one that can touch us and make us whole. So all the stuff that you've heard about Jesus, don't let that fall to the wayside just because you haven't experienced it for yourself yet. Because I believe there's coming a time where you will. So the reports of Jesus are true, okay? Number two, really quickly, or number five in your notes, Jesus is never too busy for you. Listen to me. Jesus is on mission, friends. Mission. He's going, this little girl, if Jesus doesn't get to her, she's about to die. And guess what happens? 
She died. You know why she died? Because Jesus got distracted with this woman. You say, well, man, how could, how could the Lord do something like that? Well, just later he went and raised the girl from the dead. No big deal for him. Jesus is walking around. He's on mission to heal this little girl so that she doesn't die. All of a sudden he, hold, hold on, stop. Shh. Who just touched me? They all start laughing. What do you mean? Who t- Shh. Somebody touched me because I felt power leave. He stops everything. He stops everything. I'm sure Jairus is like, my daughter, let's go. Jesus, no, hold on. I'll get to that in a minute, which is what Jesus so awesomely does so many times. And he turns around, listen to me, he tends to the need of this woman for as long as it takes. The report comes back, the little girl's died. What's he do? He keeps going. He keeps going, he finds the little girl. He raises her from the dead, which, my friends, is a far greater miracle than being healed of a sickness. And he receives glory for it all. So all I'm saying is this. When it comes to pursuing the presence of God, it is never about his schedule. It's oftentimes about our schedule. But it's never about his schedule. He's never too busy for us. So the reports you've heard are true. He's never too busy. And number three, you're, we, none of us, are ever too broken, too insignificant, or too dirty to come to Jesus. This woman was as unclean as unclean could be. So I just want to encourage you and remind you, don't believe the lies of the enemy. Don't, be, don't believe the lies of the inner me. And don't believe lies of other people. You're never too much for Jesus. Hey, listen to me. He's never looked and be like, oh, it's Tammy again. Jesus, Lord. If I could use my own name in vain. No, he's never. <laughs> You've never, you've never been too much for Jesus. But listen to me say this. I need, to, I need to say this. When you begin to believe lies over truth, in that moment, you have chosen which father you will believe. You're either believing the father of lies or you're believing the father of truth. I'm not saying he's your father because you believe false things. All I'm saying is in that moment, you're making a choice. Which voice are you going to believe? And so I want to encourage you that he's never too busy. You're never too dirty or broken or anything like that. Don't let that be an excuse. Number seven in your notes, our testimony should always follow healing. Now, there were some times in the Gospels where Jesus forbid people from testifying. He said, nope, listen, you keep this to yourself. And most of the times they didn't listen to him. They wouldn't blab it. Okay, but he had a purpose in those things. But most of the time he permits them to share what he has done for them. And so I want to encourage you, unless you hear a word from the Lord, like, don't share this, share it. Why? Well, number one, it glorifies God, but number two, it edifies the body. It may stir faith in somebody else who hasn't believed well, okay? Number eight, and we're coming to a close very quickly. Just like this woman, we must position ourselves to touch Jesus. This scene set up is like Black Friday at Walmart. <laughs> Which, that's some interesting folk, okay? So, 
people hustling, bustling, knocking cheese, laughing, some cussing. I don't know, just all kind of things going on in the social moment as, as, as they're hustling down. And a lot of people are touching Jesus. You understand that, right? A lot of them are like bumping into him. They're, you know, ha, ha, you know, kind of going along. A lot of people are touching Jesus. But only one person touched Jesus in a way that grabbed his attention. And as we look at the woman in this situation, what we realize, not only with her, but, but with the crowd, this is what we realize. That everybody else was touching Jesus casually. Just walking around looking to see a mirror. Hey, dude, I heard this dude's going to like heal this girl. Let's go. I got my lunch. But you got one woman who's consumed with purpose. And she's not coming casually. She's coming aggressively. She's coming with passion. She's coming out of a moment of desperation. These people are following a teacher or a healer or whatever. She is following God. And she says, only God, and I'm going to touch him because I believe that if I can, I can do that. So there was a, a, a possession about her. There was a desperation about this woman. And can I just say this for this woman? That was, that was an incredible moment. That was an incredible moment because in her mental capacity, she had to push through that crowd, not only physically, but mentally and emotionally. She had to say, you know what? They're not going to understand. They're probably going to call me unclean. I'm going to humiliate myself. What if he doesn't heal me? What if he rejects me? What if, what if, what if? But the woman out of desperation said, nope, I'm fighting through the crowd and I'm fighting through this crowd. And do you know that most people that live today, they're not fighting this crowd. They're fighting this crowd. They're fighting, oh, if I go down, what is my wife going to think? Then I got to explain to her all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, I, I'm a leader of a life group, but I see, you know, a couple that's really struggling. What are they going to think if I get that? No, no, none of it matters. None of it matters. And listen to me. That's the difference between this woman and the dozens that were touching Jesus. They were casual. She was intentional. She was in pursuit. She was in passion. I, uh, I heard somebody say last week, they said, we've got a position, put ourselves in a position of blessability. A position of blessability. Where I can be in a position standing before the Lord to say, Father, if you will, let it be done. But it, it takes some effort here. It takes some Jesus' half-brother James would say, listen, if you will come near to God, God in response will come near to you. It's this idea that I have to position myself and come and not expect just the Lord to come in a moment. Number nine and finally is this and we're done. Our proper response before and after healing is to fall at the feet of Jesus. Jairus, before his daughter was ever touched, what was his first, what, did, what was the first thing he did? Lord, if you don't, it won't. The woman with the issue of blood, after her healing, what's her response? Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. So I only say that to simply say this. That healing and wholeness begin and end at the feet of Jesus. That's where it begins and ends. 
So this is how we're going to end today. And forgive me. I feel like I'm against the clock, so I'm Speedy Gonzalez up here. I want to ask really quickly for our altar ministry and our worship uh, team to come. I want to ask you guys really quickly to come step into place. I believe with all my heart that healing and wholeness begin and end at the feet of Jesus. But the key element is I've got to get to the feet of Jesus. And you know what the amazing thing about it is? Is that Jesus, this is his position towards us. He's like, well, come. Come. All you who are heavy, laden, like you're dealing with some stuff in your family at work, you got these burdens that are just too much, baby, come. I want to give you rest, but come. You come, I'll respond. You say, I'm just too needy. I just my, have you met another human? We're all needy, right? And the most needy people among us are who? Children. You thought I was going to say, no, husbands or wives, no. Listen, your children are the most needy, and, and it's not even usually needs, it's wants, right? They're super, super needy. But how did Jesus respond to children? He said, whoa. Don't prevent them. No. Come. Come. Oh, you need some milk? Mama, come over here. But, I mean, don't stop him from coming. You come with him. Come. And, my friends, I I, I just want to simply say this. That's my only appeal to you today. That's my only appeal. It's just to come. Because here's one thing that I know. I know that in a room this size... There are people that are hurting on many of those levels that I've talked about. It may be hidden. Your spouse may not know. Your kids, your parents may not know. But in a room this size, there are people that are hurting, deeply hurting, okay? But what I also know is this, is that sometimes I'm not the one who's hurting and I need to take to Jesus. I need to pick up someone and take them to Jesus, even metaphorically speaking. I mean, if I can in person, that's great. But there are times I need to take my children before the Lord when my children are out of my reach. And I need to say, Father, if you don't, there's no way. We need this healing. We need this wholeness. We need this strength. And can I just say this? We, you know, we, we can't do what we're about to do like every single story. We just can't. We're time, all this kind of stuff, purpose, all this kind of stuff. But in a moment, I am going to ask for Everybody in this room who has a need represented, I am going to ask you to come to, to the altar. Now, I know that God can touch you in the front I, or where you are. I know that. I'm not arguing. Don't talk to me about it later. I, I believe that God, but, but I will say this. Sometimes a step towards an altar or a step towards a ministry team or a step in worship is often the barrier of the crowd that we have to break through before we receive breakthrough. You understand what I'm saying with that? And I'm not trying to manipulate. If you know our church, that is not what we are about. But I am simply saying this, there's gold. There's treasure that as a son or a daughter of God, you have access to. And listen to me say this, do you know what the worst thing that could happen 
if you approach the Lord and do you know the worst thing that could happen and, and worship him, ask for help, sit at his feet? You know the worst thing that's gonna happen? Well, you've just drawn closer to the Savior. That's the worst! And frankly, there's nothing better. 